I don't remember really liking this episode. Uh, quite the contrary, I remember actively disliking this episode and usually skipping it on replays. So imagine by surprise when I find that the episode, while not really good, nevertheless wasn't actually that bad. It was just kind of unmemorable, in my opinion. What I find interesting, though, is originally this episode was going to be scripted to be set in Camelot, which would overall make way, way more sense, given the overall premise of Q trying to teach a guy a lesson about how a girl can completely ruin his life. I mean, that just sl it slides neatly into Camelot. But they wanted to do it this way because Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves had just come out. <laughs> Gotta capitalize on that popularity. There's a scene, which I'm skipping ahead of my notes here a little bit, where, like, Picard... Riker, Troy, and Data all just kind of start expositing on what Robin Hood is to each other. What? It's such a weird scene because it's like all of a sudden all of them are sufficiently familiar enough with Robin Hood to identify who exactly each of them is. Now, I could buy that from Data, and that's about it. Maybe, maybe Picard, maybe, but... All of them just suddenly be like, oh, well, you're this, and you're this, and you're this. It just felt extremely out of character, and basically was there to be like, okay, so here's the premise, guys. Like, they might as well just turn to the camera. All right, look, so I'm, I'm this character, he's this character, she's this character. We're in Robin Hood, okay? Let's just, let's just all get on board with the premise. While I'm talking about how weird this episode is, though... Did you guys know that Gates McFadden, as of the time of recording this, Gates McFadden and Marina Sirtis were both professionally trained sword fighters and fencers? Because of their theater work, obviously. I bring that up because neither of them were allowed to wield swords in this episode. Because they were women. Now, I don't want to be the kind of person who brings that kind of a topic up and is horrible because Lord knows this is 2019 and this has already been a huge thing in the last couple of years in general, but I bring this up because this bothered me back in the 90s. <laughs> this was just kind of like, why aren't they... I didn't even know they were professionally trained. I only found that out relatively recently thanks to the book. So I was just kind of like, why aren't they fighting too? Like, pot? Really? <sighs> Anyways... <clears throat> So, I also found something else out, and I couldn't verify this, and that's the weird part for me. So, a couple of sources said that uh, Jennifer Hedrick and Patrick Stewart were actually engaged during this episode. And yet, I couldn't find any actual verification of that. Like, several people said, oh yeah, this," is, but I couldn't bring it down, back down to any given source, and I found no specific info detailing that. I'd believe they were dating, or whatever, but that was just such a weird detail to be tossed out there. Anywho, so we see Picard at the beginning of the episode enthusing about archaeology. I do like that. I do like his sort of natural bubbly, just, oh god, yes, this is incredible, and amazing, and tremendous, and he's all nervous, because he's, he's going to be talking to the giants. Oh my god, these are, these are the celebrities of archaeology. I love it. It's very natural, very genuine. As I've said before, a geek is basically just another word for an enthuser of a topic. And you can see that Picard here is very definitely an archaeology geek. I also want to mention something here. They mentioned that nobody else can go down. That's actually a plot point that's brought up several times, is that no outsiders are allowed into the ruins. Why? 
I know that sounds like such a strange thing to ask, but I'm really curious what the logic was behind doing that. Now, we in real life have a few things that, oh, excuse me, unless you're authorized, you can't go to a specific ruin site or whatever because it is sufficiently fragile and sufficiently or sufficiently dangerous, or both, that they don't want people who aren't trained to go there, but that's usually a specific matter of professional capacity, not the fact that you happen to be born a certain race. I'm, I'm very confused by this, I, and I'm curious if anybody else has any, uh, any thoughts about why exactly they would do that, because they never mention why. They never say why it is this has been locked off. It's been locked off for a few centuries, too, so this isn't exactly a new thing. Anyway, so Vosh shows up. Woo! How, how did she get into his quarters? I'm really curious about that. Then there's... Well, okay. Then the episode starts to lose me. <laughs> we're, we're, we're out of the teaser and immediately the episode starts to lose me because it starts doing the sitcom thing. In defense of the episode, it makes sense in context. Because this is Picard, someone who is, well, very, very prideful, very, very rigid, very strict, who doesn't really open up about who and what he is to other people. Except for Beverly. That's already been established by this point in the show. There's a reason Beverly showed up in a, you know, a casual outfit to have morning tea with him. is because that's what they do on a semi-regular basis because they're close friends. In fact, in a later episode, there will be a time where Picard actually gets romantically involved with um, a lieutenant, I think, on his ship. And he will go to Beverly about this, to talk about this to her, because she's the one person he opens up to. So why did he never, never talk about this to her? That actually bothers me a little bit. Because at that point, it's basically portrayed for laughs. It's the sitcom thing again, which I've been complaining about here and there throughout TNG and DS9, because there's no reason for it other than, oh, look at how embarrassed he is. Oh, he's just got egg on his face. It would have worked better, in my opinion, because I don't like to complain without critiquing, or critique without giving alternative, whatever, you know what I mean. Uh, it would have worked better if Beverly was like, oh, this must be Vosh. Oh, do you want me to take her on a tour? And Picard, who is very stuttery, who manages to make it work. He does manage to make that work as Patrick Stewart. But Picard could have been, you know, sufficiently uncomfortable. I'm with that. Beverly would have known who this person is and would have had the proper level of decorum and at the same time would have probably been amused to needle Picard a little bit by showing off his girlfriend to the rest of the crew. And then you can proceed with the rest of the episode as normal because Riker wouldn't have known and Troy wouldn't have known and etc. There's even a bit later on where Vosh goes to Troy thinking, surely as the counselor he would have confided in you about me. And that, that scene right there really emphasizes my point. Because again, the one character Picard would have confided in is Beverly. And again, this is regardless of shipping. Regardless of any romantic entanglements, Crusher and Picard are very close friends, and that's already been established more than once. <sighs> Anyways, so then Riker tries to make a pass at her. Worf comments on her legs. Apparently she's super hot. I don't know. <laughs> it's just weird. And uh, one of the things I do like, though, <clears throat> is there's a bit where she is on the bridge lounging in the captain's chair. And Picard greets her, and he can't bring himself to do anything. He can't hug her, hold her hands, kiss her, or even kiss her on the cheek. No sign of affection whatsoever. Now, I, I do like that, as weird as that may sound. Because that's Captain Picard on his bridge. 
I actually know people in real life who have a similar rule. You know, when I am at work for certain types of jobs, obviously this doesn't apply for every job, but at certain types of jobs, you know, I am at work or I'm in a meeting or I'm interacting with my staff, PDA doesn't happen. That, that's out there because right here I've got the worker hat on. Make sense? So that I'm with. That actually kind of slotted in nicely. And then at 12 minutes and 23 seconds into the, into the episode, Q finally shows up. That always struck me as a little bit weird. We know Q's going to be in this because Q's in the title. I think there's a grand total of two, I think, Q episodes that don't have Q in the title. Tapestry and Death Wish. Oh, and All Good Things. That's three. Sorry. And Encounter at Farpoint. Damn it, there's four. Ah! <laughs> my point is being self-destructed. No, my point still stands because any episode that has Q, you know, a Q pun or a Q whatever in the, in the title is a Q episode. We know this. It felt weird that they dragged it out like this, especially since, well, the episodes actually spent as much time on the build-up and sitcom stuff as it did on the, the, the Robin Hood stuff. The, the Sherwood Forest, Nottingham, there we go, the Nottingham stuff. That's what I was trying to say. Because I, upon rewatch, I forgot how short the Nottingham stuff was. It's like, okay, we're here. Okay, there's a quick battle. Okay. And then there's Maid Marian, and then we're back to them. We have to go rescue her. Okay. Then it cuts to her, failed rescue, execution, final scene, done. It was, it's very quick. And I kind of get why, after all, location shoots are expensive. It's just... Huh? Anyways. So Q finally shows up, and he resents having to owe Picard. I kind of like that, if I'm being honest. Not only does that make sense for Q in general, but it also kind of showcases what I personally believe to be my favorite interpretation of Q. Now, I know we all disagree on interpretations of Q. In fact, some of us disagree on the fact that there are multiple interpretations of Q. Some people think that it's just, you know, he's, he's that dynamic, and some people think it's multiple Qs. So we all disagree about everything, basically, on this one. But for me, I've always preferred the Q who is... Uh, basically, our secret advocate while at the same time having fun with it. You know, the tapestry cue, the cue who cue, the all good things cue. That, that's my favorite cue right there, personally. And this is not that cue. In fact, this cue barely slots into any of the other, the, the three major archetypes of cue. The other two being the agent of the continuum and the trickster. The closest one is the trickster. He's just here to, to poke and have fun with it. But even that doesn't quite line up because he allows things to go weirdly hands-off. Like, he, he, he basically just lets whatever's going to unfold happen with only really one exception, and that's when he catches Maid Marian, and that's it. So I, I really don't know what to think of this portrayal of Q. In fact, as weird as this may sound, I think the inclusion of Q and, you know, the whole Nottingham thing was actually a mistake. Earlier on in the episode, Picard mentions to her how, you know, listen, I don't want you to go down there. And the very first reason he mentions for that is if you'll get caught. And her, her, he, she cuts him off says, you know, you said that about that other place, but I didn't get caught there, right? In other words, Picard is showing, in his own quiet way, that his primary concern is not that she's breaking the law, but that her breaking the law might lead to serious ramifications for her, that he does, in fact, care about her. Thus, the nugget of the episode is, is posited right there. He certainly cares about her violating the law. He certainly does have his rigid mentality. That is an absolute fact, especially by this point. I mean, look at season one Picard, for God's sakes. But <laughs> point being that his primary concern, the higher priority, 
is his concern for her. They could have just made this into more or less a straight episode, ejected Q entirely, to the point where she goes down and he has to choose, do I also violate this law to effectively save her life? You, you can kind of see how the construction of that dilemma could naturally unfold from the events as placed here, rather than this, let's be honest, fairly threadbare event, because Q's whole point is, you know, you could have gotten them all killed just for a woman, which again would have worked better in Camelot. But I don't see the construction of that from the events he's decided, because he's basically said, all right, listen, if you stay here, you're fine, and you'll go back, and everything will be cool. But she'll be dead. Uh, if, however, you go after her, you'll be doomed. And, and it's not for a love of a woman you'll be doomed. That doesn't prove Q's point. Picard, in fact, makes this point in the episode. I would have done this for anybody, any innocent life, who you were going to execute, and of course I'm going to go try and save them regardless of who they are. So this doesn't prove anything. By contrast, the idea, at least in my mind, the idea of I have to decide to willingly violate another race's laws in order to try and salvage the life of a single woman who has broken those laws willingly and knowingly because I love her, well, that would prove the point more clearly, wouldn't it? Anyways... You could have also still, if I'm being so bold, you could have also kind of still slided Q into this if you really wanted to. Because he is still hands-off, like I said, in, in the actual episode. So why not have him just kind of be, be like, huh. So Picard, I thought I'd let you know something. Yeah, what's that? She's going to get caught in about 15 minutes. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, and the only way to take, save her is to be able to break those laws. Now, you could just let her fall, I mean. You know, in other words, Q could have still slotted in without the fantasy setting, is just what I'm trying to say. Or he could have ejected Q entirely. So, uh, look at my notes here. I've always wondered how obvious the Q flashes are, the whoosh, are in lore. Like, everyone always autom automatically reacts to a flash. Like, huh? And yet, there's several scenes here which are kind of incongruous, because Beverly Crusher's sitting there, and then there's a whoosh over her head, and she doesn't react to it until Troy points it out. And yet when one happens to Troy, she immediately notices. How obvious are these? I'm really curious. Like in lore, does everyone see the push because it's not quiet and it's not subtle? Is that just for us? I don't know. It's, this is the first time I've ever had cause to question that. I'm just curious about it. So they go down and, oh my god... I'm sorry, I have another note here. I forgot to mention this. I mentioned how everyone talks about, oh, we know who Robin Hood is. I find this an interesting contrast to Voyager, where just about anything from about the year 2000 and earlier is referred to universally as ancient, which is something, it's, it's almost a meme over on Voyager, given how often they misuse that principle. Ancient Earth, which can refer to, you know, the, the, the 10 hundreds, the 19 hundreds, the, the aughts, you know. <laughs> They, they just use it so casually. But anyways, I also mentioned that because apparently Tom Paris was the only one who knew anything about ancient Earth. We're looking for something called a key. And yet these people all know Robin Hood on sight. Anyways. <laughs> I mean, you could argue this is the flagship. Maybe they're just more learned than the crew of Voyager was. So Q shows up. Sci-Fi Debris made this joke. It's one of the few b bits he does that I remembered. What is, made, what is Robin Hood most famous for? Robbing from the rich to stealing the poor. Besides that. Uh, being an excellent bowman. Besides that. 
I got to be honest. I actually sat down and thought about it, and Robin Hood's connection to Maid Marian, no, specifically his rescue of Maid Marian, didn't even make my top ten for things that I would consider Robin Hood famous for. I'm curious about you guys, honestly, because I can think of several other things prior to the whole, you know, oh yeah, and also he rescued Maid Marian. I'm just curious. I really am, because I know everyone has a different perspective on this. And I know I'm beating this episode up, because, but that's because I think it's stupid. <laughs> there is a good scene. There's a good scene where uh, Jennifer Hedrick, the woman playing Vosh, is trying to do her lines, and she stumbles with the dress because she was so unused to it. They actually, And she kept going with her line, as, as a good actress would. And I point that out because that was actually a, a screw-up. She was not supposed to stumble on that. She, the actual actress stumbled on it. They decided to keep the take, or rather, she convinced the director, Cliff Bull, to keep the take because she, it would make sense that Vosh is completely unused to that dress, just like she, the actress, was. I have very little to say about the rest of the episode, funnily enough, even though we're now basically at the, the main part of the episode. I do like how Vosh is far more mercenary and adaptable to this new circumstance, because of course she is. She, she almost immediately picks up on things and is like, okay, and just knows how to play along. As weird as this sounds, I like that. Too often, members in Star Trek, especially members of Starfleet, are so rigid and stupid that they, they seem to lose all presence of adaptability. And that actually has always irritated me, just a little bit. It's not a common problem, it doesn't show up often, but a Starfleet officer in this position would just continue to be like, what are you talking about? Take me back to my ship, I refuse, blah, blah, blah. And just stonewalled everything, rather than try to adapt and move fluidly through the situation to learn what the hell's going on, which is what she does. Um, so then Picard comes to rescue her. I have to point this out. She constantly argues with him as he's trying to rescue her for like 30 seconds, during which time he and she could have gotten out the window and been long gone, and the rescue attempt would have been successful. If she, I hate to point this out because I hate to take sides in a gender debate, however, the person who is Vosh, regardless of their gender, happened to be wrong this time because if she hadn't constantly been pulling him back, they would have just gotten free, and that would have been the end of it. Now, I'm sure Q would have inv gotten involved in some way, but it takes forever for the guards to show up. <sighs> so then they're going to the execution. I like how they're arguing even on the way to the execution. That being said, I know a lot of people disagree on exactly how relationship arguments should work. I myself have seen several different varieties and flavors of relationship arguments over the years including some of my own. And what they're doing is, I think the word best to describe what Vosh and Picard constantly do in this episode is bickering. And I found that to be a little cheap, if I'm being completely honest. I, don't, I think it is beneath both characters. I don't think Picard would lower himself to petty bickering, and I am fairly certain that Vosh, even though we only have like three episodes of characterization for her, would also not lower herself to that. Obviously she would be emotionally upset, and she has a right to be, if I'm being blunt, given the construction of the episode. And obviously Picard is also similarly pricked because of his pride and his stonewall personality. But I can't see either of them dissolving to basically with each other. And then I feel that's another disservice to the episode. Then the fight scene. It's kind of crap, but that's okay. Why does Data have an explosive in his arm? There are, now, I've been bashing this episode, 
and I'm not apologetic for that. But I wrote down three moments that I wanted to share in addition to that, to, to, to show that obviously even in an episode I don't enjoy, there are moments I enjoy. Sir, I protest, I am not a merry man, is probably the best line of the entire episode. <laughs> also, the Animal House reference with the mandolin. And finally, I do have to admit I enjoyed the Princess Bride reference. All uh, The Animal House thing and the Princess Bride thing were apparently deliberate references, by the way. I am not from Nottingham! And then he you know, defeats Sir Guy. Those were good moments. And there, were a, there was a general tone of levity. And I think that's at least part of the problem. Remember, the major threat of this episode is that they're going to execute her. And don't tell me Q was ashamed of actually killing her. As Picard points out, he is effectively amoral in his own sense. So him killing her? Yeah. I'm t I totally believe he would kill Vosh. And yet at no point in time does any of that threat actually feel real. Even when they're leading both of them to the executioner's block to kill Picard and Vosh, there's no sensation of tangible, oh gosh. For once, we have a crisis of the week, which doesn't feel like it. it and I don't know if it's because of the tone of levity, or because the episode can't seem to find any stable ground to stand on, or what. That's just a, a feeling I got, an impression throughout the episode. And as ever, I'm curious what you guys thought. And then, of course, uh, Troy and, and Beverly don't use swords. And then they go back, and Vosh accepts Q's deal. And this brings me to my final complaint of the episode. Vosh make, accepting Q's deal makes perfect sense. In fact, Q says, you know, I'm going to take her wherever, and she says, how can anyone, you know, say no to that? I, I, I can see how some people could say no to that, but in general, I agree with her. Which is my overall point. This episode should have never happened because Picard's a moron. Q shows up and says, I owe you. I... Friggin' owe you. I hate it. Ask for something and I can go away. And Picard says no. And then Q bo bothers him and Picard says no. And then Q bothers him and Picard says no. And then Q finally insists, fine, I'll come up with my own way to pay you back. This is literally all Picard's fault. I want to smack Picard. You, ca you can't tell me that he doesn't have enough intellect to recognize that this situation could have been resolved by simply sitting, thinking carefully, and approaching it like a reasonable person. Instead... Well, it goes back to that bickering thing. Picard seems, and I'm going to say this very spe specifically here, Picard seems petty in the way he interacts with Q in this episode. Like, Q, A, isn't something to be taken seriously, which is both incorrect and, frankly, a massive disservice, and B, as if Picard hates Q so much that he can't even bear the thought of actually receiving a gift from Q. Now, yes, I know, Q-less, or whichever one that was, but that... Really? You don't even have to ask for something grandiose. Uh, could you please give me a visual record of the of these ruins from 3,000 years ago? In fact, Q himself actually comes up with a great idea. I'll just take you there in the past. You can see it for yourself. In the novel series of the Q Continuum, this is actually something that happens. I don't think it's these ruins, it's another ruins, but I don't remember the name of the ruins, I'll be honest with you. But Q takes Picard to these ruins way back in the past, and Picard gets to see it, and the, the novel's written from Picard's perspective, and Picard is in awe. He loves it. He eats it up. Of course he does. He's an archaeology geek. <laughs> right? Just ask for something like that. If you don't want to violate the sanctity of, the, of these people, sure, ask to see Egypt, circa 2000 B.C. I mean, come on. There are so many thousands of things you can ask for Q, which are non-intrusive, 
non-permanent and non-large scale to just get this over with and get them out of your hair. You know what I mean. And yet Picard stonewalls. And I keep using that word on purpose because that right there is my biggest complaint with this episode. I mean, no disrespect whatsoever, because I actually have a great deal of respect for Iris Stephen Bear as a writer, as my feelings over on Deep Space Nine make clear. But I honestly feel like Iris Stephen Bear, who wrote this episode, just does not understand Picard as a character. And I think that is, at its core, the main issue with this overall episode. <sighs> as ever, looking forward to your guys' thoughts and hate mails. <laughs> I'll see you next time, guys.